Welcome to Still Scared, Talking Children's Horror, a podcast about creepy, spooky and disturbing children's books, films and TV. I'm Ren Wednesday, my co-host is Adam Wybray, and today we're talking about the 1984 novel Interstellar Pig by William Sleater. A full transcript of this episode will be available, so check the show notes for details. Enjoy! So, uh, Interstellar Pig um, by William Sleater. Uh, how did you find out about this, Adam? Because it's not something I'd ever heard of before. I'm pretty sure I found out about it by Adam Kadri. So, Adam okay. Kadri is an interactive fiction writer and blogger who I followed for years and years. And I mean, I think I've read more words by him than by any other author, living or dead, to be honest. <laughs> um, if he ever gets super famous and needs someone to write his biography, like, you know, I could probably just, you know, <laughs> dic- dictaphone it, to be honest. <laughs> but, but anyway, he did a, uh, he likes doing reviewing projects. And yeah, he read every one of Sleater's young adult fiction books and reviewed them all. And mm. I was particularly taken with, I had vague memories of Interstellar Pig. I don't know if I ever actually read it, but I think maybe I'd seen a copy as a kid. Um, mm. Or maybe there was just a lot of poor sign young adult fiction and I'm getting mixed up with the Demon Headmaster series with the pig. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But anyway, anyway, he um, he reviewed them all and I read House of Stairs and thought it was really pretty good. And so I read that one and read The uh, Green Futures of Tycho and for this read Interstellar Pig. So yeah, I'm not... I'm not a sleeper expert or anything. Hmm. Um, so this is a a kind of early entry into the uh, entering into a board game genre of fiction uh, before Jumanji. <laughs> <laughs> is that a genre? Is it just this? Jumanji? Oh, I was, was going to say, like, <laughs> do, you, do you have a litany of examples? <laughs> Um, that, no. that 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 book where like they become real life participants in a horrifying game of buckaroo. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I guess there are films like Clue, right? As the Americans call Cluedo, um, mm. which, to be fair, is a better name because what's a Cluedo? <laughs> Um, that, you know, that's like a sort of fictionalised version of the board game. But Interstellar Pig, obviously, is a sort of meta board game book. So mm. it's a book in which people play a board game. Yeah, so it's named uh, Interstellar Pig is the name of the space-themed board game uh, that turns out to not be a board game, but a game played among extra uh, actual extraterrestrials um, for the fate of their planets. Which I have to say, 
sounds a lot more fun than the uh, the pig game uh, I used to own, which was pig pong. <laughs> which <laughs> I think was one of those games. I picked it up from a charity shop. Um, and mostly on the appeal of the name. And I suspect the name came first when, <laughs> when designing the game. Like, um, basically, it was ping pong, but instead of a ball, there was like a foam stylus, and there were two pigs, and each player had to like squeeze the plastic pig, and uh, air would be uh, exhaled or released from the pig's snout, and this flume of air would theoretically keep the foam stylus aloft. Uh, but hmm. it, 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 you know, like it was nowhere near powerful enough. Like, <laughs> lit, literally unplayable. Hmm. <laughs> so, you know, Interstellar Pig by contrast, I thought, sounded like a pretty good game. Yeah. Um, the, the pig part comes from the name of the... Uh, the token that you uh, you want to have at the end of the game to win, which is called the piggy, and sort of looks like a kind of horrible leering pig's face. But um, we don't know why it's called that apart from that. Yeah, it doesn't really look like one of my cover. It's just got like one eye and then a kind of nonplussed line for a mouth, and it doesn't even have a nose. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Let's let's talk about our covers because <laughs> um, because I'm quite I quite like mine. Uh, yeah, it sounds like you've got a better one than me. Mine's just quite generic. Like, it's got a hand thrusting forwards, I guess, like like it's the hand of the reader, maybe. Like, you're in the position of, like, you're looking at your own hand on the front cover, mm. and then it's holding some cards, uh, mm. the top one being the piggy. Hmm. Um, yeah, no, mine's a bit more exciting. It's... um sort of backdrop of um, sort of the Milky Way galaxy and then with sort of planets coming forwards and there's Barney and he's the main character and the three alien neighbours um, around the card around the card table um, and they're sort of mid-transformation into their true alien selves so um, there's uh, one of them is uh, well, do you oh, want to in- introduce the characters? Yeah, I'll, yeah, okay, yes, I'll introduce the characters. So, the um, the characters are the main character is Barney, who is um, on holiday with his parents uh, on a vacation to the beach, and but he's um, completely unable to spend any time in the sun, so he spends all, all his time in, inside reading while his parents go off and sunbathe. Um, and the the neighbours are three young people. Uh, slash aliens um, called Xena, Manny and Joe um, so they're all gathered round and uh, sort of Xena is, has a, her legs are sort of turning into spider legs because her, her true alien form is Zolma who is a, is a sort of arachnid humanoid and um I'm not quite, quite sure which is which, but either Manny or Joe is uh, in the top half is this uh, hunky, hunky nineties uh, guy with uh, curtains, <laughs> and um, and then his legs are sort of growing octopus suckers, and then in the foreground is the other one who's got a green pointed ear and sort of scales going down his neck. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, sounds sounds 
pretty squamous. Um, the other thing I liked um, <laughs> was um, <laughs> was the uh, one of the quotes on the back. It was, uh, will raise readers' hackles and incite nervous laughs. Publishers <laughs> Weekly. <laughs> I mean, there's a lack of raising its hackles. Like, like you want to fight it. Like, <laughs> like. <laughs> laugh, laugh nervously and fight this book. <laughs> it's a very odd response to the book, to be honest. Like, I don't think it raised any of my hackles, nor in such nervous laughs. Like, maybe they thought the book was, like, talking about something that actually happened. I guess they thought the book was documentary evidence of a real board game-oriented alien invasion. It might mm. raise my hackles and incite nervous laughs. <laughs> yeah. Hmm, curious. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, the story. So Barney is uh, is stuck inside all the time um, in his cottage reading, and he's sort of looking at the neighbours who are staying at the cottage along the way, who are sort of. There's always something a bit odd about them from the start because they were very keen on getting the cottage that Barney and his family are staying in, which has a sort of horrible backstory. Um, uh, shall I, shall I um, describe the horrible backstory? Well, I really like the, the horror. The horrible backstory is one of my favourite parts of the book, I yeah. think. So, um, yes. Yeah. So, um, it's the captain's cottage, um, and the captain was Captain Latham, and his brother um, killed a man who the ship had rescued. Um, his brother claimed that the man had shown himself to be the devil, so he'd had to strangle him. But um, rather than executing his brother outright, the captain chose to have him keel-hauled. Uh, he was tied to a rope and then thrown overboard and dragged underwater for the whole length of the ship. Um, so supposedly the slightly more merciful option because he had a chance of survival. Um, so he did survive, but he became um, brain damaged from the lack of oxygen. And um, this, uh, in, in heavy air quotes, left him a raving lunatic. Um, the captain then kept his brother in the back bedroom of the cottage for the rest of his life, uh, where he scratched at the wall with his, with his fingers, leaving sort of deep gouges that are still there when that's Barney's bedroom in, in the book. Yeah, it um, sounds like a pretty awful time for him. Yeah. Um, but Barney's quite taken with this tale, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. He? I think, you know, he's, he's... I mean, I wouldn't say he's pleased that I haven't or anything <laughs> but you know he, he seems he's quite excited I think or at least that, that there's you know some history to the place they're staying at yeah um and as you say these alien neighbours seem very keen to get into the house basically yes so pretty much as uh, the first opportunity they get they um sort of invite themselves over when Barney's parents are down at the beach um, to come and have a look at inside the cottage. Um, and when I say have a look, they really, like, turn everything upside down and, like, rifle through absolutely everything in the house. Um, and are particularly interested in the, in the scratches around the window and spend a long time examining those. 
Um, they um, <laughs> then uh, so so yeah. The the other slightly sort of first indication that they're a bit odd is that they have this sort of glamour around them, so different people see them differently. So, um, <laughs> but all varying shades of yuppie, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, Barney sees them as sort of glamorous, athletic kind of yeah people in their sort of late teens, um, and his parents see them as glamorous, athletic people in their thirties. I think <laughs> movers, um, and, movers and shakers. Yes, um, his parents are sort of slightly unpleasant kind of social climbers. Um, and this, you don't really hear much yeah, about them. This but. seems to be a bit of a theme in the Little Sleater that I've read. Um, mm-hmm. Rather venal or self-absorbed parental figures. Uh-huh. Like, parents in his books never seem like very nice people, uh, just as a as an observation. Mm. Well, the only other one I've read is House of Stairs, and there aren't any parents in that. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, although so there are orphans. adult guardians who obviously... Uh, aren't portrayed are, in the best yeah. of lights. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so then... So so Barney sort of as kind of payback goes to look through their cottage when they aren't there. Um, <laughs> and is a, is a bit creepy and, like, looks through and uh, even smells Xena's underwear. Oh, which, yeah. Uh, yeah! He does! <laughs> It's, it's a bit awful. Um, <laughs> I forgot about that. Um, yeah, that was yeah. odd. <laughs> he doesn't seem like a, a particularly... Um, uh, well, there's not much sex in Sleater's books generally, to be honest. Like, yeah. As Adam Cadbury noted that his characters are often in their sort of mid to late teens so Barney's 16 and mm. generally I guess 16 year old boys stereotypically at least are meant to be thinking a lot about sex um, and mm. generally there isn't very much of this in Sleater uh, so yeah it was a bit of an odd moment out of the blue actually <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah so that happens and he, he also finds copies of the captain's diary entries um, that Xena has annotated, so and he he has proof that that they are they definitely came here to for something to do with the captain's cottage. Um. And uh, can I read um, a little bit from the uh, captain's diary? Oh yeah, because uh, this is what he describes. Um, so as he said, the ships picked up this. Um, passenger, this unknown passenger who um, actually we know by the end of the book was an alien um, Mm. with a parasitical tongue (laughs) (laughs) Um, but there's yeah a a really nice description of um, the captain in the captain's log from describing this transformation so I'll just read it A moment later, I bared my eyes and beheld merely the body of a strangled man. 
black and hideous of countenance it was, yes, with staring eyes and distended tongue, and yet not what I had seen, or imagined I had seen at first impression. It had been a false vision, my first impression, the product of my overwrought condition and of my brother's hysterical utterance, of that I am now convinced. For what I had thought to be a coarse, leathery, greenish, reptilian hide was indeed only a man's flesh ravaged by the elements and the unnatural manner of his death, and what in horror I had perceived against all reason as some invertebrate organism, gelatinous, slug-like, protruding from the cracked, blackened lips that in my swoon had appeared actually to writhe in a most grisly and somehow beckoning manner, I quail now at the very memory, was in truth merely his deformed and swollen tongue. And most ghastly of all, the third eye, the yet living eye, that had appeared to wink from the folds of his forehead, yellow and filmed with slime, "'Twas not but a bruise, a swollen contusion of the struggle, "'partially obscured by matted hair. "'Nothing, nothing but that.'" Hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think uh, wearing a bit of Lovecraft on his sleeve there, but nice, ni <laughs> nicely done. Yeah. Um, so that's uh, an alien called uh, Luap, who is a... Uh, a sapient reptile who has a symbiotic relationship with a slug-like invertebrate that lives inside his mouth. <laughs> um, the, this is um, one of the characters that Barney plays when when they all play the board game. Well, this is the character that Barney plays when they all play the board game later on. So, yeah, well, the neighbours uh, find Barney um, snuffling around the underwear drawer, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and a bit... Um, well, I think they, they probably know that he knows they're up to something. So yeah. instead of sort of saying, get out of here, you pervert, we're talking to your parents. Uh, they say, hey, pervert, do you want to <laughs> play a board game with us? <laughs> I mean, to be fair, um, they're, they're aliens. They don't know, you know, the human customs, mm. you know. So as far as they know, what Barney's doing is perfectly acceptable. That's <laughs> true, because um, he'd he'd seen them all. Uh, he'd seen them playing the board game when he'd come over the first time. But then, yeah, when they when they catch him uh, this time, Xena uh, sort of cajoles him, like because he'd been interested in playing. So she cajoles him to come and play the game outside um, in the sun, <laughs> where he will inevitably get sunburned. Um, Which seemingly she knows, right? Yes. Um, because this is uh, her ploy so that he'll be sunburnt enough so that he won't be able to come on their expedition the next day and mess up with their plans anymore. But, yeah, so um, Xena teaches Barney the game. Um, and this, uh, this, <laughs> this few pages made me quite anxious. Because um, uh, <laughs> this is one thing I, I I really don't like is uh, learning complicated board game rules. Um, and uh, <laughs> she, yeah, yeah. I, I think I've never seen you look so sort of frayed and frazzled and generally fed up as when you first played Settlers of Catan. <laughs> I think it's partly that our mutual friend Ali, uh, who's very good at board games. 
was, mm. you know, um, working out tactically via, I think, a, a, a process of probabilities and elimination, <laughs> what moves to make. And uh, <laughs> uh, 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 yeah, I, 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 I just remember that you, you were not having a fun time. <laughs> um, yeah, because uh, Zena is sort of very, quite impatient. She's quite an impatient teacher and she's sort of rushing Barney along these this very uh, quite complicated set of rules of this game um, and sort of chiding him when he doesn't get it immediately and uh, yeah it, it, it gave me a little vicarious anxiety um, but uh, the, 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 the sort of a premise of the game is that there's you play uh, different aliens from different planets who have sort of different strengths or weaknesses in surviving um, and um, you have a hand of cards and one person has the piggy and they have to hide it um, somewhere that the other players can't get to easily either because they're not adapted to survive in that environment or whatever yeah so um, if there's some kind of um, aquatic alien who wants the piggy it might be a good idea to hide the piggy on a desert planet for instance mm -hmm. where they're going to need additional breathing equipment to lug around with them to kind of you know, impede yes because they can have a certain amount of equipment to to help them but um yes not only only a, only a few bits each um yeah and it's a person who has the piggy at the end of the game wins. One thing I like about one thing I like about the description of the board game is you never quite know. I mean, it's hinted at that this has some relationship to reality, perhaps. Or you know, I thought at first it was going to be like Terry Pratchett's "Only You Can Save Mankind." That hmm. that what's happening in the board game is happening in real life, literally. I.e., if you die in the board game, you die in real life. Um, mm. So when only you can save mankind, it's basically space invaders, and then it turns out that actually these are real aliens. Mm -hmm. um, and one thing I liked is that when the board game is described in play, you don't know to what degree Barney's imagination is filling in the details, and to what degree... Yeah the action is playing itself on the board. Like, there's a suggestion that the board is almost holographic, perhaps. Um, mm. But it's never clearly established. And I kind of liked that, because I like the fact that it plays off, that when you play D&D, you can get quite lost in the game, right? And that you are mm. imagining these worlds, even though you're just sat around talking or with cards or whatever. Yeah. Um, and there's also the sort of each character in play has a intelligence uh, quotient, um, and it's sort of it seems like it sort of that sort of blurred the line of how much their actions are constrained by the intelligence of the character they're playing. Sure. Um, and like, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's definitely, there's sort of hints at the, the game sort of being a bit otherworldly and mesmerising. Um, and um, in this scene where um, Zena's 
teaching it to Barney as he looks at the cards they sort of seem to sort of shimmer and blur and he thinks that it's the sun but it's actually turns out that it's the um it's the text sort of translating itself into English as he looks at it yeah um, um so yeah in this game uh, Xena wins and it's a sort of say sinister foreshadowing she kind of shows her willingness to eradicate an entire planet's population to win um, without really giving that much of a thought um, which Barney seems slightly unsettled by um, but then he realises that he's getting sunburned and rushes off and, um, and his parents are quite jealous right that he's getting to spend time <laughs> with the glamorous neighbours yeah um, who they've sort of imagined as I don't know. Sort of jet jet setters. I don't know, like like, glamorous philanthropists. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) This is odd because, I mean, I guess it shows how good their disguise ability is because they don't do anything to suggest that they might be philanthropists at all. No. (laughs) One thing I like about how they're described is he gets a fair amount of mileage right out of the aliens using words in foreign languages, generally French, um, in a way that's slightly off or slightly inappropriate. And yeah. that it could be, you know, um, yuppies trying to be slightly more sophisticated than they are. Mm. Or, of course, what it is, is aliens who aren't quite sure with their use of human language. Yes, yeah. So I thought that um, was nice that it could potentially be either way and it, it keeps that open for a Yeah, while. so they have this quite sort of arch kind of banter between each other. Um, and yeah, their, their use of, of language is just slightly odd, sort of. Um, I, didn't, I didn't pick out any examples, um, but yeah... Just using, just using slightly the wrong word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So back at back at the captain's cottage, Barney sort of traces the scratches that the captain's brothers made around the window and finds that if he extends the lines, they all converge at a boulder on an island that's just off the bay, um, which turns out to be the location of the piggy. Um, so he is. Um, he doesn't know what it is but he knows that there's something there that's significant and something that these the the neighbors want to get to um so the next day he's horrendously sunburned um but um he still feels like he has to go to the island to um, discover what they're looking for and he manages to get them to reluctantly agree um by basically saying that if he doesn't let them if they don't let him go with them He'll um he'll get his dad to sort of trail them in a boat and watch them with binoculars the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so they go by windsurfing off to the island and um, <laughs> Barney sort <laughs> which which is <laughs> it just really manages to kind of situate the book at a certain point in time. I think windsurfing. <laughs> 
Yeah, or the windsurfing and sunbathing. So I remember, was it, I think it was you out of my friends that, weren't you fascinated by my mum's got a collection of old MasterChef books? <laughs> oh my God, I love those. <laughs> yes. Like from the early 90s and it lists people's hobbies, right? Yeah, yeah, it listed people's hobbies um, and it was just a sort of museum of the kind of middle-class hobbies of the early 90s. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there was lots of badminton. Um, I, yeah. And, and windsurfing. <laughs> yeah, and, and windsurfing. <laughs> Although this book is um, 84. But, oh, yeah. oh, well, yeah. Um, so it's slightly before the times with its windsurfing, Yeah, uh, maybe, the, yeah, the windsurfing trailblazers. But, well, um, I guess it is American, you know, we, Mm. Over here in Britain, we probably, you know, <laughs> late, late adopters. It took, it took people a while to get up the nerve. <laughs> to do that. In, in, the, in the cold English sea. <laughs> yeah. I'm currently, um, just as a quick digression, um, for my, my job at the University of Suffolk, I'm currently uh, the liaison for uh, a Californian video artist called Kim Anno. Who I recommend uh-huh. looking up. Um, her work looks really good, um, especially her paintings, actually. Um, and she's currently doing this project, which involves um, well the effects of tidal erosion on people's leisure time, basically. So she's going around the world and uh, filming kind of areas of tidal erosion, coastal areas, and then people playing sports, like sports on the beach. Um, Mm -hmm. and so she wants to film some of the students playing cricket Uh, however she wants to do this with them half submerged in the sea (laughs) now I'm slightly concerned that she hasn't played cricket before um, and I'm not assuming that she hasn't played cricket before and so I don't know if she knows that there has to be a wicket and it's going to be quite hard to keep that in place in the sea um, and also she asked me so you know she's Californian and Skyped me uh, last week from California and she said so do you think that um, the sea's going to be warm enough uh, and she, you know she's coming in a few weeks and I was like it's probably pro- probably going to be quite cold it's not you know <laughs> Oh god, and she wants cheerleaders as well. Um, I, 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 which I'm hoping is a deliberate juxtaposition, and she doesn't think that we actually have cheerleaders. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Cricket cheerleaders. Yeah, I quite like the idea. Uh, so it's going to be in, yeah. it's going to be interesting. Um, but I'm, I'm slightly <laughs> concerned that I may end up being uh, badgered, half submerged in the half sea, half submerged in the sea, wearing cricket whites. <laughs> desperately trying to uh, hold some wicket to the sea floor <laughs> in February yeah in the Suffolk coast oh yeah um, well well do let us know so, yeah, um, keep, keep keep tuned <laughs> I mean I quite like the idea of of you know me looking slightly worried or unhappy half submerged to see potentially being played in some gallery somewhere, somewhere around the world that's quite exciting <laughs> yeah anyway uh, so, so um, not, um, not quite on topic 
Um, so it is a bit of an uncomfortable windsurf, maybe not as uncomfortable as you're describing, but um, <laughs> Bonnie is very sunburnt, so he's sort of trying to hold on to the board and it's sort of scraping against his tender skin and stuff. Um, but, um, but they get to the island and he sort of heads straight off uh, for the boulder that the scratches were pointed to. And he gets there before the others and he finds like, a little rusty box and hides it before they, before they can see. And reading this bit, when I was reading, I thought, oh, this this is reading really like Robert Louis Stevenson. It's really like Treasure Island. Then Barney himself makes that observation <laughs> on the next page. Like, oh, it's like I'm in Treasure Island. <laughs> I, I, I felt sleep was laying on a bit thick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So he finds the box and, and it becomes, it's very apparent that that's what the neighbours were searching for and that they're all quite peeved that it wasn't there yes they're pretty despondent um um but uh they invite him over anyway that evening uh, for dinner and um they uh they now sort of they've guessed that he that he has this uh what turns out to be the piggy which was inside the box um so i'll read the description of the piggy the um the object, the piggy. Um, so it's a smooth, small, round object painted garish pink. Um, there was a face carved on the side, nothing but a rigid, slightly smiling mouth under a single, wide-open eye. The lips and eye were sculpted in sharp relief. The vertical iris, inlaid in bright silver, gave the eye a piercing alertness. Crude as it was, the thing seemed alive, and it was the brutal wrongness of it, the mouth smiling with such placid idiocy, noseless, under the solitary gaping eye that made the face so repellent. And so it doesn't have a nose. No, which is odd. I, I very much associate I don't know how it's pigs with snouts. Pigs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, there you go. Um, he hides it inside a um, an old yearbook in the cottage. Um... But yeah, they invite him over and they start sort of offering him things in, ex- in exchange for the piggy. Like uh, a youth serum and an intelligence booster and access to hyperspace if he'll just give it up. Um, but he doesn't tell them. Which, which is um, pretty noble of him, I think. Yes. Yeah, he, he's, um, he's, he's quite concerned for what they want to do with it exactly yeah i think apart from the arnold lane like aspects of his character um he's not so bad (laughs) (laughs) i mean maybe this is just in contrast we're obviously going to uh get on next week to house of stairs in which characters do rather horrible things to each other (laughs) yes yeah yeah um barney seems like a pretty good soul and apart from the underwear yeah yeah apart apart yeah. from that but i guess yeah you know who is the real sick man in this so-called society <laughs> <laughs> is it the boy who covertly sneaks into his neighbor's house stealing their underwear to sniff secretly <laughs> or is it is it the yuppie alien um hmm looking out for the uh, survival of their own planet it's Barney <laughs> yeah it's Barney it's clearly Barney <laughs> um, so 
yeah, they they sort of disappear. His parents. Um, do, do his parents ever come back? Um, oh my I gosh! <laughs> I don't. We don't know. I, no. Yeah, that's that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, and not not within the book. They're not definitely dead, but no. That said, the aliens are pretty damn mercenary. Yes. So, that seems possible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I've put down on the ending because at the end Barney's just sort of staring wistfully out into space. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Although, actually, I I I found out that there is a sequel to this book um, called Parasite Pig. Uh, so do you know if it picks up? Does it follow Barney? Yeah, um, well, it. I don't know. It said it, it came out... Oh, it it carries on three months later. So. Oh, so... I don't know if Barney's in it. But, but if we want to know whether his parents are alive, maybe we need to, yeah. maybe we need to consult parents. Maybe it was a deliberate cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, One thing I wanted to know about the book, so I don't know about yours, but the back of my copy has... A kind of uh, little, I don't know what you'd call it really, a sort of author's note, I suppose, um, by Sleater hmm. talking about his writing of the book. Hmm. And he says that originally um, there was nothing about board games in this book whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And it was only when his editor rejected the fourth manuscript, she said, oh, maybe you could put a game in this story. And that's when he he put the game in. So it was interesting. I just thought, what what would the book? Because a lot of the book is mm-hmm. the game. So I find it quite hard to imagine what the book would have been without the game as a, a central structuring element. Um. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I guess you could still have aliens looking for something. It's- yeah, because I mean, sort of the whole thing is that um, the tie-in with the captain uh, story is that the uh, Luap um, lost the piggy on Earth. Yeah, um, yeah so he he uh, pulled out um, for the equipment choice, um, like transpatial um, time travel, basically, and managed to blip himself back into the past. Yeah. Um, and then, and then, was killed, and then, and then the piggy was lost. So, um, yeah, I guess you could still have a trio of aliens coming to Earth and looking for something that was lost in the past. But I can see it wouldn't be nearly as good because I think you need the board game. Well, as a structuring device, but also the board game does a lot of the heavy lifting when it comes to that sense of ambiguity. Yeah. And, yeah, not knowing what these neighbours are up to and whether the game is kind of real or whether it's not, and, yeah. Hmm. <clears throat> um, so, um, so they sort of insist on coming over to the captain's cottage to play the game. She's closer to where Barney's hidden the piggy. Um, 
However, this time when they draw their cards, um, Barney doesn't draw a character, he draws himself. <laughs> he draws a Barney card. <laughs> 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 because he's entered the game. Um, which is quite cool. Quite a little creepy touch. Um, It'd be really cool if, like, you know, if you were playing... If, so, say this was re-released as an e-book, right? Mm-hmm. You could do it. So uh, you have to put in your name or, like, you know, it gets your name from your Amazon or your Google account because, hell, it's all linked up now. You know, why not use it for something <laughs> fun? And then maybe there could be a picture of the card and then it's your own face and name on it. I mean, yeah. don't, don't think about the ethics. They have all that. In- okay, no, they, okay. They have all yeah. that information already, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, yes, wouldn't that be fun? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, 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 I'd like to think that the government agencies listening to us as we're recording right now uh, are having a nice laugh out of it anyway. <laughs> um. There's the nervous laughs that publishers weekly <laughs> promised us. Uh, yep. <laughs> um, so, yeah. He's in the game. Uh, he's in the game. Um, and we see the neighbours in their true alien selves um, for the first time. Um, which are... Uh, Pretty horrible. <laughs> um, um, so, oh, so so they're alien. They're alien names. Um, oh God, am I going to get this right? Uh, Zina is uh, Z- Zulma. Yeah, who's uh, a humanid arachnid from Vavush. Um, uh, Manny is Moina, who's a sort of octopus-like gas bag creature, and Joe is Drub which is spelled J-R-L-B, so who knows. Um, he's a water-breathing kind of guild man. Um, and here's a, there's a description of Drulb. Um, he, he emitted a powerful briny reek. Salt water and scummy foam dripped from his smooth, oily grey hide. He stood upright, leaning forward slightly. His hands and feet were huge and webbed and covered with scales, spread far apart to help him balance. He had no neck or nose or ears. Red rectangular goggles hid his eyes. His mouth was a wide lipless slip beneath the glasses, pressed tightly shut. And uh, Moina is a sort of... I'll just read the description because it's, it's also quite horrible. Um, her huge soft head was slimy with mucus-like membrane, Thick veins branched across it. She spasmed and pulsed like an exposed internal organ. The long threads that undulated around her tentacles made me think of earthworms. The tentacles themselves were pliant but muscular, their undersides stippled with suction cups secreting a yellow gluey substance. The eyes above the tentacles bulged out and then retracted and then bulged again. (laughs) (laughs) So, some fairly gruesome monsters they've become. Um... And um, and also we we've, we haven't yet mentioned the star of the book. Um, <laughs> I knew you'd but... think this. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, introducing the carnivorous lichen of Mabrindgyle. <laughs> M- M- Mabrid- Mabridlingyle. 
<laughs> carnivorous lichen of Mabridlin Gale. <laughs> um, <laughs> which I'm quite keen on. Um, uh, so, so, yeah. so they're a sort of um, slightly peevish hive mind, I guess. Yeah. Um, sort of pink sponge-like uh, s- sort of semi-sentient lichen um, with a voracious appetite voracious appetite um, and uh, because Barney in his first game with Xena uh, draws their cards so he's playing as them and um, she she describes them and says um it would take them quite a time to digest you, and you'd be conscious for most of it. They go for the brain first. And this, and this turns out to be uh, something of a piece of dramatic irony, because Barney ends up disguising himself as one of them. Yeah, so he, he gets to pick a few bits of equipment. Um, one of them is uh, an immunity pill, which um, happily gives him immunity to the carnivorous lichen. Um, and the other thing is disguise equipment, so he can disguise himself as part of the lichen mm-hmm. um, and sort of ooze across the floor and the ceiling um, towards the piggy. Um, I mean, you know, I really. Being I, part of the hive I, mind. Yeah. If this was a Goosebumps book, you know, that, that would have been the whole premise for the entire book. It'd be like, help, I'm a lichen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I never guessed when I moved house that I would become a lichen. (laughs) Yeah. Um. (laughs) But, you know, since we've had Barney in human form for, you know, it's uh, not a short book. um, You know, it's quite Mm. exciting when when he turns all lichen on us, I think. Yeah, because um, first he he sort of he sort of withers the lichen by his because uh, he's immune to it. Sort of when it tries to to touch him and eat him, yeah, he just it just sort of crumbles, um, which is quite cool. I um I was thinking that we should um, inspired by <laughs> the uh, the Beetlejuice um, digging scene that we should. Um, look for the best tactile sensation or texture in in things that we that we discuss <laughs> okay uh, do, do, do you do you have one then i do have okay. one yes which is when um barney kills the lichen underfoot with his immunity and he says uh, i stomped gaily through it like a child playing in the rain under my feet the lichen crunched like potato chips <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which i enjoyed um <laughs> so <laughs> yeah and so they're all in the house and in their alien forms and sort of various skirmishes coming happening and and more aliens are coming right sort of like the other players of the game are coming to earth yeah and you um, you he Barney you can hear sort of scraping and chirruping and squelchy noises from outside of the house suggesting that other alien life forms have arrived and you you, you don't see some of these which I thought was quite effective hmm 
Um, and he starts to, to hear the piggy talking to him. But not in sort of quotes or like, I don't know, strange, strange fragments of sentences from the piggy. Um, so I wasn't quite sure what to make of. Well, he, he slowly realises that it's effectively a recording device. Mm. So, and when he realises this, he kind of discovers, right, that the piggy is just a kind of information suck, basically. That its drive mm. is to record more and more of the universe. It's almost like a meme, right? It's this sort of self-propagating information um, unit that, that sucks up information and then relays it back mm. without purpose, without rhyme or reason. So you start getting snippets from, you know, Barney's hidden the piggy in a yearbook. And so the mm. piggy starts spouting out quotations from the yearbook. So it says, the student council this year has been extremely active in school affairs and in stimulating school spirit amongst the student body. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so the only way Barney can, can learn from it is to sort of read between the lines, basically, because it doesn't seemingly have many thoughts of its own, that it, mm. it, it just retrieves information and then plays it back out. Yeah. And he's trying to work out what exactly the piggy does because we learn um, just before this this final sort of real game that this is still the first game. Like, um, there's never, it's never ended. Um, yeah. So when we see them playing the board game, when they get to the end of the game, what happens is that those who don't have the piggy are obliterated along with their home planets. Mm. But this was just the board game. It wasn't the real life version of the board game. Yeah. Uh, so all the aliens are operating under the assumption that if the game ends and they don't have the piggy, then they're going to be obliterated along with their species. But they don't know this, so they're just kind of operating from a position of fear. Yeah. And then... Because Barney starts to think that maybe, in fact, the opposite is true and that the planet that has the piggy will be destroyed. Um, but um, And he sort of has to weigh up whether he wants to keep the piggy or if he wants someone else to have it. Um, um, and then sort of realises that, in fact... Really, neither is true, and the piggy just sort of wants to be passed around from planet to planet to to gain knowledge. Um, so he lets the lich in uh, leave Earth with the piggy, um, which has now sucked up a lot of nineteen fifties yearbook as <laughs> um, part of its repertoire. <laughs> so yeah, the uh, the end of the book we <laughs> we finish with the lich on their their spaceship. Uh, trying to extract meaningful information from the piggy as it spouts out yearbook quotes at it. <laughs> um, um. Um. 
leading to the last line of the book being um, the lichen were confused (laughs) 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 which is a pretty it's quite yeah it's a pretty special last line yeah yeah it is Um, Weirdly, it also reminded me a bit of the very end of Hitchhiker's Guide, as in the end of Mostly Harmless. Oh yeah, what happens there? Um, It ends, so, you know, the whole thing's very convoluted, but it ends where the book starts, basically, um, with the Vogon fleet about to destroy the Earth. So, Mm. we've gone back in time, and now Arthur and... Ford and Safe for People Rocks and all of the other characters, they're all on Earth. And this time, they let it happen. So instead of hitching a ride on the Vogon spaceship, they stay put mm. and the Earth is destroyed. And then there's a sort of epilogue and it has the Vogon commander who sat um, in his spaceship um just in silence and darkness and all the lights go out and it just sort of ends with the Vogon kind of sat like in this kind of meaningless void basically like <laughs> you know their bureaucratic work has been done um, and, and there it is you know <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know they've gained no real joy from it uh, and yeah that, that, that that's where the book ends and it's this really sort of odd I don't know hmm it always kind of haunted me as a kid, that ending. <laughs> My dad read me Hitchhikers when I was really young, when I was like eight or something. Yeah. And yeah, it always sort of stayed with me. It's a very odd ending. Like, I mean, the last two Hitchhikers books, I think, feel <laughs> very gloomy um, because Adams didn't really enjoy writing them anymore. And, you know, that's yeah. why he kills all the characters off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I did rather like the idea of these Lichen in their spaceship endlessly trying to gain some kind of intelligible meaning out of the piggy <laughs> yeah um, so a strange book definitely <laughs> um, but is it a scary book um, is that even a, I mean, a question to ask about it it's thrilling rather than scary, mm. I suppose, in part. Um, I think it's not particularly scary when you're reading it, but if you think about some of the ideas, it is quite scary in a kind of existential angst sort of a way. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like the idea of all these aliens desperately and neurotically endlessly playing this board game in the hope that it'll keep their planets from being annihilated mm. and actually that's not going to happen that the whole game's pointless and they don't know that yeah i think there's something quite <laughs> if not disturbing kind of sad and haunting about that yeah sort of hmm which um, and there's definitely a a lot more uh, of that sort of uh, meaningless action, um, kind of uh, being sort of trapped in a 
cycle of um, actions with a sort of dubious purpose, I guess, in uh, House of Stairs. Um, yeah, I suppose so. If uh, that might be a bit of a stretch. I mean, but. well, there is a higher purpose, obviously, in mm. House of Stairs, but it's not a purpose that the characters are aware of for the whole of the book, mm. and it's not a purpose that benefits them. So it's yeah. sort of similar in that sense, in as much as the piggy is exploiting all these aliens who think they're doing what they're doing for one reason, and actually they're wrong, and mm. they end the book, in this case, none the wiser, seemingly. Yeah. So our three aliens um, jet off into space, continuing the game, bickering amongst themselves, uh, none, mm. none the wiser for their experiences in the book. Yeah. Um, so yeah, House of Stairs um, is going to be our next, our next episode, um, and maybe Parasite Pig at some point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it'd be intriguing to see uh, where we tried to go. This. Uh, maybe when Parasite Pig came out, video games were all the rage, and so, you know... <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe, it came out in 2002, so... Yeah, so maybe it's a video game rather than a... Yeah. <laughs> um. With polygonated graphics. <laughs> but yeah, did, did you enjoy it, do you think? Um... Yeah, I found it a bit baffling, and to read it twice to sort of, oh. <laughs> um, to, I mean, yeah, to particularly the sort of the ending was sort of fairly confusing. But there's definitely, um, there's definitely parts of it that I really enjoyed. Um, the the lichen, yes. Um, <laughs> And and the, uh, the the sort of the captain's backstory, which I found quite haunting. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think it has a certain something. It has a certain charm to it. Mm. Cool. Hmm. Um, do you have a sign off? Um. Keep it piggy. I mean, that's not. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah. Keep it piggy. Keep it piggy. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't really come up with these in advance. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my help. <laughs> I'm sorry, I put you on the spot that's every okay. time. Um, <laughs> our theme music is by Maki Yamazaki and our outro music is by Joe Kelly and our artwork is by Letty Wilson um, if you enjoyed this episode uh, maybe leave us a review on iTunes that would be cool and we'll see you next time bye bye <laughs> <laughs>